0: Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ, And seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming age he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves This is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Hi, everyone, and good morning. I wonder if pivot will be the word for 2021. Well, we knew there would be ups and downs, outbreaks, uh, and lockdowns this side of the vaccine. But it's still difficult. It's still frustrating and disappointing and sad when it happens. Our weddings, birthdays, other special events postponed. The spectre of last year's extended lockdown just kind of looming there. Uh, In the background. And of course it's awfully disappointing for us at church. It feels like we just started meeting together. Well by God's providence uh, we come to our passage today. It's providential I think because uh, amidst all the craziness and, and anxiety over the last few days. It's good to be reminded of the bigger picture. Of what's always certain and true. God's glorious grace. His amazing gift of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ and our eternal security in him. Let's pray as we come to this marvellous passage. Father, you give mercy to the guilty, freedom to the captives and life to the dead. Father, today help us all know deep in our hearts your rich tender mercy your infinite love and the lavish grace that you've shown us in Christ. Amen. It would be great if you could have uh, verses uh, 1 to 10 from chapter 2 in front of you. Well, in verses 4 to 5, we find some of the sweetest words that you could find in the Scriptures. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. In chapter 1, Paul wrote of God's cosmic plan to unite all things under Christ. And central to that plan is to reconcile humanity, to bring people back into relationship with him and each other in the church. But before these sweet, sweet words come verses uh, one to three, and they stand in stark contrast, and they tell us exactly why we need reconciling. They're strong words, they're challenging words, they're countercultural words, and they stand against the narrative that humanity is essentially good, that if we just kind of work together, we can fix all the world's problems. No, instead, they show us just how dire. Just how desperate the human predicament really is. And they show us just how much we need God's grace. If you feel challenged or even insulted by these words, fair enough. But please don't feel singled out. Because these words apply to all people. Verse 3, Jews and Gentiles, uh, uh, Asians, Africans, Australians, men and women, rich and poor. All people outside of Christ and so it starts verse 1 as for you you were dead in your transgressions and sins not running a slight fever not even severely incapacitated though death will do that to you you are dead and this statement is plural it's used it's addressed to the Ephesian church but it applies to us and it refers first to spiritual death Dead in relation to God and under his judgment, because we were living in transgressions and sins. Other uh, word, uh, transgression means a crossing a known boundary, uh, a deliberate infringement. The word for sin means a falling short of a standard. And so Paul here says, uh, We've done it all. We've knowingly broken God's laws, we've failed to live up to his commandments. It includes the times we deliberately lie and gossip and bully and exclude. And it includes the times that we don't give thanks for all that God has given. It includes the times that we ignore poverty and oppression, the times we see someone in need and don't do anything to help. Fundamentally, however, our sins and transgressions are just symptoms of our hearts and our minds that have turned away from God. And so outside of Christ, we are all spiritually dead, alienated from God and under his wrath, headed towards hell. Our verse three describes our three powerful influences, three kind of almost like slave masters which collaborate in our rebellion. The first one is the world, the aspects of its values and and culture that stand in opposition to God. Outside of Christ, we we march to the world's drumbeat. We embrace its values, its goals, its ambitions. We accept and promote the idea that we can define our identity, our relationships, our sexuality apart from God. We engage in the selfish pursuit of happiness and power, of comfort, wealth and success at the expense of others. blindly we follow the world and blindly we follow satan that's who that's who paul means by the ruler of the kingdom of air it's a novel idea for our culture our culture derives the idea of of a personal spiritual evil satan has become a bit of a joke right he's a he's a halloween costume Uh, he's red tights and pitchforks it's a comic picture And perhaps this derision, this disbelief has given Satan an even greater foothold in our culture. Uh, The Screwtape Letters, uh, written by C.S. Lewis, is a fictional collection of correspondence written by Screwtape, who's an undersecretary in Satan's demonic department. And they're written as instructions to his nephew, Wormwood, who's a junior demon. And, And Wormwood has been given the task of corrupting a particular human. He's patient and keeping him as far away from God as possible. That's his task. And in one of the letters, Screwtape writes uh, to his nephew, it is essential to keep the patient in ignorance about your own existence. You see, the thing is, if the patient doesn't believe in Wormwood, if he thinks that uh, spiritual evil and the spiritual realm are just a kind of figments of our imagination, it'll be much easier to keep him away from God and much easier to keep him mired in moral relativism in spiritual scepticism and in devotion to wealth, money and self blindly we follow the world, blindly we follow Satan and third, blindly we obey the desires, the thoughts the cravings of our flesh God made us to love him to love what he does, love what he loves, and to love each other. But sin distorts us. Our good God-given desires become disordered and and they harm ourselves and other people around us. Desire for sex and intimacy, uh, intimacy turns into pornography and the objectification of women. Enjoyment of God's creation turns into consumerism greed and causes poverty and injustice. The world, Satan, how desires—they they're like slave masters and like slaves, we obey them. We're like slaves, but not in the sense that we're compelled as if we had no choice to sin or that we're forced into it. No, we're slaves because we follow them and because sin is what what people persistently choose. Did you ever have to learn how to lie? Did someone have to teach you? Are you ever forced into being selfish? In our freedom, we freely choose to sin. And the evidence of that claim is all around us. As G.K. Chesterton wrote, original sin is the only part of Christian theology that can really be proved. Outside of Christ, we're all dead in our transgressions and sins. And for this, we're all under God's wrath and headed for hell. It sounds extreme, maybe even unfair, but it's not. When you consider who God is, the sovereign creator, who alone deserves our love, our devotion, and our worship. And it's not unfair when you consider how uh, hideous and harmful and destructive sin is. And it's not unfair when, when you realise that we're all part of the problem. Even our best thoughts, our actions and intentions are often tainted by ego and pride, and self-interest. And so rightly, we all stand condemned under God's wrath. And so the real question isn't how can a loving God condemn people? The real question is how can a loving and just God actually save anyone? And the answer to that question is in verse 4. But God, they're the first two words of verse four. That's how it reads in the original language. But God, two words of hope, two words of grace. But God, verse five, made us alive with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. Here is the heart of the passage. The bleakness and the hopelessness of our situation only serves to underscore the brilliance of God's grace. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. We were enslaved. We were condemned. And so we were powerless, incapable of doing anything to change our situation. Salvation couldn't come from us. It had to come from God's side. And it did, through Christ. He bore God's wrath in our place. He paid the price for sin once for all and he made forgiveness possible. And just as Jesus was made alive and raised to new life, so we are made alive with Christ when we're joined to him. This means that now we have a new, a living and reconciled relationship with God. And it means uh, in the future when uh, we'll be raised with Christ and live with him for eternity. And God's salvation didn't come because we earned it or deserved it. It wasn't anything that we did or any kind of inherent goodness or quality in us. It was God. God. Because of his rich mercy and because of his great love. God abounds in mercy. He delights in it. Of course, God is grieved by sin and he should be. But wrath is not his nature. Anger is not his natural state. Love is. That's why Jesus came. For God is rich in mercy and great is his love for us. It's one thing to love the lovely, people who are kind, who listen to you, who are easy to talk to. It's harder to love people when they're not like that. But it's another thing entirely to love a sinner, to love someone who hates you. And that's just what God did. For God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't save me because I was religious. He didn't save me because I was talented or clever or successful. He didn't save me because I did the right thing. And he didn't save me because deep down I am a good person. He actually saw me as I am. Weak, broken and desperately sinful. And he still loved me. Sometimes it scares me to think that God knows me like that. Every flaw, every crack, every darkness. But it's also deeply comforting. Because he does know it all. He knows me inside and out. And he loves me anyway. So I'm completely secure in his love. verse 5 it is by grace we have been saved grace it's something unearned no strings attached given freely pure at the desire and initiative of the giver that's how God has saved us by grace nothing to do with us all to do with him There's nothing you need to do to get it, except trust. Trust in Christ, accept God's forgiveness. If today is the first time you've really grasped God's grace, please accept it. Get in contact with us. We'd love to talk to you and take you through what it means to walk with God. But God's grace doesn't stop there. Like a flooding river, it, it rolls on and on. For not only did he make us alive with Christ, he's raised, raised us up, verse 6, and seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. Christ's seat in the heavenly realms denotes his complete victory His power, his reign over all things, over sin, over death, over Satan, over all the elements of the world that are in opposition to God and his purposes. And so when we're seated with Christ, it means we share in that victory. By the Spirit's power, we will live with him forever. And by the Spirit's power who renews us, who transforms us, we are no longer bound to be slaves. We're no longer bound to choose sin, but more and more we're free to live lives that please God. God's gracious salvation is the ultimate act of mercy and love, but his salvation has a wider purpose than just us. Verse 7. It is in order that he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. That word show here carries the idea of, of display or demonstrate, right? And so God has saved us because he loves us. But our salvation isn't just a private viewing, it's an exhibition. It's a public showcase designed to display his his glory and his grace to the universe forever. When you see a great portrait, who do you praise? The person who sat for it? No, you you praise the artist for, for his talent, for his skill. We are God's masterwork. And God has saved us so that all would see the incomparable riches of his grace that he's shown to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that they would give him the glory, the praise and the worship. Brothers and sisters, remember that. Remember who you are as you live your life before others at school, at work, at uni, in your neighbourhoods, remember that you are a showcase of God's grace. Brothers and sisters, remember who we are as a church, in our conduct, in our worship, in our outreach and in our life together, in a pandemic and out of it. We are a showcase of God's grace. We were dead, but God has made us alive with Christ. It is by grace that we have been saved. Verses 8 to 10 begin with that same uh, joyful exclamation. And here Paul explains what it means and what it doesn't mean to be saved by grace. And his purpose is, is emphatic. To dismiss any idea that salvation comes because of any work or any merit on our part. Verse 8, we are saved through faith. Verse 9, salvation is not by works. And verse 10, good works do not earn grace, but they are a response to it. God has acted in Christ to save us. And the way that we receive that salvation is through faith. By believing in Christ and trusting God's promises to us in him. Now, some may think that uh, faith is kind of like a good work, something that we bring to the table, something we uh, bring to our salvation. You bring the salad and I'll bring the drinks. God brings salvation, but I bring faith. A faith then is something I'm commended for because I'm smart enough or moral enough to believe in God. But that's not what faith is. Faith simply is dependence on Christ and trust in God's promises. Faith, belief, trust, dependence, they're all the same word in the original language. And to see faith as something I contribute to salvation or something that I should be commended for is like saying, I allowed the firemen to carry me out of the burning house. Aren't I clever? It's ridiculous. Faith, as Martin Luther said, is simply the open hand that receives God's salvation. And Paul makes it clear here and elsewhere that even our ability to have faith is a gift, a work of the Holy Spirit. And so it's all grace, both the salvation offered and the faith we have. As Paul says, this is not from yourselves, It's a gift of God. And just in case we haven't got the point yet, Paul makes it crystal clear in verse 9. Salvation is not by works. He seems to be laboring the point. It must be because the point is really important. And it is. We need to really understand salvation is only by grace because salvation by works by what we do is our default position just take a look at some of the major religions in the world today judaism we're saved by keeping the law islam saved by pleasing allah following his commandments buddhism saved by our efforts at self-denial pagan religions get right with god by offering sacrifices Notice the one thing they all have in common. The path of salvation is based on what you do to make yourself worthy. It's not by grace. By nature, we're dead, we're enslaved, we're condemned. There is nothing we can do to make ourselves worthy. Salvation has to be by grace. These words applied to the Jewish people in Paul's time, who were tempted to think perhaps that they were morally superior because they kept the law, morally superior to everyone else. But these words also apply to Christians, then, but also now. We have no grounds for boasting, no grounds for self-confidence. We are not morally superior We're not more righteous, more holy, more worthy of God's mercy and love. The only thing I bring to the table is the sin from which I am saved. We're not better. We're just forgiven. Unworthy sinners, unworthy recipients of God's glorious grace. So then what is the place of works? We know God wants us to honour and please him, to love him and to love others. In verse 10, Paul shows us how it all kind of fits together. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, good works do not earn grace, but instead are a response to it. God has recreated recreated us in Christ to do good. God is like an expert craftsman and in Christ, by his spirit, he's, he's remade us, recreated us as individuals and as his church. Through the gift of his spirit, he's putting to death sin in us and he's empowering us to live lives and a life that's oriented towards him and to loving others. And all that is a work of his grace. And so our works don't lead to salvation. In fact, our works that we do outside of Christ, our sin and transgression only lead to death. But God's work of salvation in Christ, that leads to life. And the life God gives us by his spirit leads to good works. The Christian life is truly a story of grace from beginning to end. If you aren't a believer and you're with us this morning, I do pray that you would accept God's amazing grace. If you are a believer, I'm sure you already know a lot of what I've said today. My experience is though that even though we do know it, we still need to hear it often. We need to hear it because our hearts are prone to be self-righteous, smug and superior. We need to hear it lest our praise grow weary or our hearts grow cold to the glory of what God has done. We need to hear it because we so easily slip into thinking that somehow We can earn our way into God's favour. Having control over that sometimes feels much safer. If that's you, stop. Rest. God has done it all. And we still need to hear God's grace because sometimes perhaps we still worry that we're not good enough for God. That God couldn't love us. Maybe sometimes we still struggle, struggle to believe that his mercy, his love is enough for a sinner like me. But brothers and sisters, you don't need to worry. God knows you as you are. You don't need to earn his love His grace means that nothing you do will make him love you more and nothing you do will make him love you less. He loves you because he loves you. That's what grace is. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, We're amazed. We're astounded by your wonderful grace. Father God, we praise you for it. Help us all to know it and to rest in it. Amen.